at what point do you decide to make a purchase? When I'm shopping online, there are several positioning statements, price points, and other such methods that are trying to get me to click the coveted add to cart button. But one asset of consumer buying gets me to press way more than others. Let's say I need an umbrella. I am located in sunny Southern California after all. I head over to Amazon. This one comes in multiple colors. This one repels UV light. This one is windproof. But one thing above all else typically gets me to buy. Customer reviews. Which umbrella has the better rating? Sometimes it'll even come down to picking a 4.6 rating over a 4.5 rating. But way more important than the number is the customer testimonial. What are folks actually saying about these umbrellas? Does it work as expected? Buyer beware? Is it actually windproof? You can get a pretty good idea of what the product is like before you forfeit over the funds. And I trust people using a product way more than a website. The consumer shopping experience hasn't been quite the same for B2B SaaS. There's a sort of crisis of trust we have when considering software. Word of mouth and whatever product was first is an easy route to follow when you're making a buying decision. But how can I see what folks are saying about these products? Where do I go to compare one offering to another? Enter Godard Abel, who helped bring us G2. G2 is a site that helps you choose the right software and services for your business based on millions of user reviews. You can get that star rating like you get on Amazon. You also get the coveted customer testimonials. Godard & Co. are dedicated to bringing the consumer buying experience to B2B SaaS. He sat down with Patrick Campbell at SaaS Doc in 2022 to discuss how G2 is getting peer advice at scale. He's sharing all of that and more coming up next. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, G2's Godard Abel dives deep on the crisis of trust. We talk about where G2 is headed, having confidence in your solution, what data G2 is seeing about the economic downturn, fostering a robust entrepreneurial family, and Patrick and Godard answer questions from the SaaS Doc 2022 crowd. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for an in-depth field guide focused on what we go over. First up, Godard talks about where G2 is headed. Who are you? What do you guys do? Tell us your life story. G2 is the place you go for software. And especially SaaS solutions like this, we have over 100,000 listed on G2.com. And when we started the company about 10 years ago, something like G2 didn't exist. And we wanted to create more of a consumer shopping experience. So we just thought it was way too hard to buy and sell enterprise software. And the other challenge we saw in industry, a lot of us oversell and overmarket. And I'm guilty of that as an entrepreneur. You know, but the buyer, the software buyer, the SaaS buyer doesn't know who to believe. They don't know who to trust. So we see a crisis of trust in the world and in our industry. And we thought the best way to solve that is with peer reviews. I think of like Patrick as fellow entrepreneurs. You know, like if I would probably ask you like, hey, do you love this app? If you say yes and why, I'm much more likely to buy it. Yeah, exactly. G2, we're trying to do that at scale. Get pure advice. Yeah. And I, what I like about it is 
you kind of got to that. But to say that a little bit differently is B2B buyers are just consumer buyers at companies. True. And prior to platforms like G2, it was very much, oh, we have to talk or we have to talk to a salesperson or, hey, who do you? And then you only know of one company because that's the company you use for your payroll or whatever. And I got to go talk to seven people. And even then it's like, oh, I, I value his feedback better than this person. And you know, all of a sudden now I can go to basically one of your graphics and I can see, okay, there's this distribution. I can go read stuff and all that kind of thing. But that being said, my my question kind of for you is because I think a lot of people think of G2 as the reviews, as you said, and they also think of this is where I should go in order to understand or like understand, you know, what I should buy. But I feel like your vision's getting bigger, right? True. It's not only helping people get more reviews, but you're doing more software, you're investing in more data, all this kind of stuff. And so I don't know, what's what's the end game for G2? Like where where is this going in a long enough timeline? I'm super curious about how you think about that. Yeah, no, I think you're right, Patrick. When we started, we called it a Yelp for business software. And I think in some ways we've achieved that. You know, there's a lot of reviews, a lot of products. So but I think we are going way beyond it. And because uh, what we've also realized, G2 produced a lot of interesting data and probably the same thing you learn at ProfitWell. You know, all of a sudden you have 30 billion of spend data or revenue data that you can do a lot of interesting things with. And we're seeing the same thing now. We have all this data, you know, over 100,000 software apps, 8 million buyers a month coming, over 2 million trusted reviews. And then partly what turned us on to that we may also have a much bigger data play is a lot of investors started coming to us. And now we have about 50 investors that are customers of G2 just consuming our data. And that includes a lot of the world's, you know, leading investors. Obviously, some of our investors, Excel, Sequoia, but, you know, some of the the really leading investors, and they're all using data now to try to identify which SaaS startup would be interesting to invest in. And probably like marketers are actually scoring all the companies and they don't just use G2 data. They obviously look at LinkedIn, they look at Glassdoor, but we're a key data set to see how our company is doing with their customers What's their buying momentum, their their revenue momentum, deducing it from G2 buying data. So we've also realized, wow, we have all this data. And so one of the things we're launching now is we're calling a market intelligence product, which is also for software vendors, SaaS entrepreneurs, to also figure out their market strategy and get competitive feedback. Why are you winning? Why are you losing? Because we also ask for viewers, are you switching? What did you switch from? Why? And at the beginning, it's not that interesting, but now with millions of data points, all of a sudden we have these cool insights. So we do see ourselves becoming more of a data and insights company. And the last thing I'll say, we've also realized that the software buyers, they want more. And obviously for free, they can see reviews on G2 and millions do that every month. They can compare products just like consumer shopping. But then we also launched this app we called Track, which is a premium product, more for the software buyer, the CIO, CFO to track and benchmark all their SaaS spend in real time based on our data. And, uh, and I imagine you've had a similar journey at ProfitWell where at the beginning you start serving one persona, but then you have all this data, all this insight, and that's what we're realizing now. So we really want to be the trusted place to go for software insights, whether you're a software buyer, seller, or investor. And so I think that's the long-term vision is we can really become a multi-product company. Next up, Godard talks about having confidence in your solution. There's a cold start problem with like a G2, right? Because yes. how do you get the reviews? How do you get people to trust it? And you have this like marketplace where you have all these sides you're fighting. I think one of the really interesting things about what you guys have done is you've created a phenomenon where with our analytics products, there wasn't a strong ecosystem. There's like a handful of apps, no one really huge or heavily funded or anything like that. But we did have people who used G2 as like an indicator of either finding us or basically seeing if we were okay. And we found this, and this is 
this is why I'm telling the story is because I think it, you've created these like self-fulfilling loops because all of a sudden we were like, oh, this person mentioned that we had a three-star review on G2. We have no idea that this was happening. And then we find it and then we're like, well, let's go like help get honest reviews from like our happy customers and also make sure we can like address the thing that the person had the three-star review in. And now all of a sudden I'm there. Now all of a sudden I care about it. Now all of a sudden we're tracking the number of reviews each month. We're seeing the people who come through and fill out the contact form. And even if if we don't end up, we had paid for G2 as well. Right. But even you if you do all that for free. Yeah, exactly. You leave it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Even if even if I'm not paying you as a as a vendor to manage my page, I'm still engrossed in the ecosystem, right? True. And now all of a sudden, if you're getting the the investor side or the market intelligence side, all of a sudden I'm sure there's a couple of people who perked up and were like, oh, I need to make sure my G2 is taken care of because I might get scoped out in the right place. And True. I guess a question there is how do you manage all that, right? In the early days, I know you guys would do these big review-a-thons at conferences and have people to do reviews, but like, how do you manage each, all these different sides of the marketplace and you're adding sides? So it's almost like you don't have a loop anymore. You have like a hexagon or something like that. Right. And I think the most important part is still what's on G2.com, making sure we have trusted reviews and good content for the software buyer. So if we have to choose at the end of the day, we say we're buyer first, because if the software buyer doesn't get trusted advice, the rest of it kind of falls apart. And then Frankie, that's why you also said you cared, right? Because all of a sudden, when your customer, somebody said, oh, you have a three-star review, but your customers, your prospects cared. And so obviously as a seller, then you naturally care. So that's that's the most important part. And then I think, but the other way to scale it, we have more and more categories. And I think when we first started the first year, we just did CRM and marketing, email marketing. Yeah, because to get that flywheel going was hard. And we used to have these review booths and yes, just get enough reviews in category. But now we have 2200 categories. So we keep having that cold start. But then the beauty of it underneath, there is this data cloud, you know, the G2 data cloud database. Now we also have it in Snowflake. But, you know, then as we're doing that, the data keeps growing. And that's what powers the other solutions. Do you think about, like, when you think about that loop, a natural question I'm sure you've answered a thousand times, but I don't know the answer to it. So I want to ask is, you think, oh, software is only so small, which I know is a very limiting thought because, of course, I work at software as well. So I'm like, it's expanding all the time, right? How did you have, like, the metal to stay in the software world rather than like there's other review sites, which are strictly review sites. They're not doing what you guys are doing. Or there's like a trust pilot, right? Like like every industry to everything, right? And like agencies and all kinds of stuff. Like, and maybe to ask that more positively, like why software versus like other industries that you could go into? Right. And verticals, I guess. Well, one, we do think software is huge. And I've always loved the Mark Andreessen quote, software is eating the world. You know, he said that in 2012, right, when we were starting G2. And I also shared this yesterday. I think now it's a $600 billion industry. But I shared data from Battery Ventures. In 30 years, it's going to be $6 trillion. So I just think it's so massive, so important. And obviously, we also include cloud services. Like, I'm looking at the AWS logo. Yeah, so it's software, but also cloud services. And our world is so big. And we barely scratch the surface on a TAM. So it's like, why go anywhere else? And I do also think it requires focus. Because every, and we have research analysts, they ask different questions for every software category. So we think it requires some unique expertise. And frankly, that's how we differentiate from a trust pilot. And they do like, I think literally every industry and they give trust marks and reviews similar, but they don't go deep in any one vertical. Plus we can build a brand and really excited to be here. One of the things I'm most excited about, almost every booth now has some kind of a G2 high performer leader badge. You got one over there somewhere. So, and in general, I think the world's very crowded. And I think also for a lot of software vendors, you can be really strong in one industry. That's, I think, more powerful you know, than trying to be in every industry. And do you see this as you're doing a lot of insight, knowledge, 
types work, right? You're going into the investor side, you're going to the market intelligence side, you're going into the where your costs are going side. Do you envision this staying in the insight kind of band or are you eventually, for example, helping me save money on my bills? You know, because you see my costs, you see like, are you suggesting different tools, those types of things for my makeup? Like how, how deep do you go into like, doing it for me. Yeah. And, and we do want to do it with data and AI. Yeah. And a bit like back to consumer shopping, Amazon, right? They'll recommend, hey, you love this book. Here's three others you'll love. We do the same thing. Like, hey, you're already running HubSpot for sales and marketing. Now here's their three best partners. So we definitely want to do that. But we would do it, want to do it all with data because there are some other companies out there like Vendor you might have heard of, you know, more on the spend management, which is very popular right now because of the downturn, everyone's trying to save money. But they really do full service outsource procurement. They'll actually negotiate all your contracts for you. We never want to do that. We just want to stay on the data and AI and benchmarks. And then figure that also leaves room for consultants and other people to use the data. But we don't want to operate as a data and same thing on the seller side we partner with all the abm apps we partner with zoom info yeah they have marketing os sales os so if you want to operationalize your g2 intent data great you can use zoom info right so again it's staying focused and then we can also be friends with everyone in the ecosystem there's a little bit of that switzerland vibe that you have to make yes. sure you take right and i know vendor i know ryan a bit and he's sometimes he's in conflicts with some of that stuff true and he negotiates our contracts too you know, yeah. we get some of our customers and frankly you know what we say when the vendor person calls what do you say how do i avoid this basically no you just say no okay well that's like a four or five time entrepreneur answer right? yeah no but it's also i think if you have a unique solution you know what i mean it's like what you want to go ahead call gardner you know like if you have confidence in your solution yeah. Then and you're charging people a fair price. Yeah. You know, so that's where and frankly, I've always been in sales. So I don't like you get I have a bias. I have a bias against purchasing people, I have to admit. They've held up many deals over the years. But frankly, even when we were doing CPQ software, I just said no. I drive the purchasing people nuts. They're like, what do you mean no? I want 50% off. I'm like, well, I respect you and but we're already offering a fair price and go talk to the business sponsor because they really need our app and it's unique. Yeah. It's not steel. Well, that's true. Like there's, there are, you know, they're in the competitive landscape of G2, but it's a different, totally different product. Like it, this is not me. And they're doing great. And Ryan's a great entrepreneur and yeah. uh, they raised tons of money. They're growing really fast because right now it makes sense, right? Yeah. Need, they need to save money. And a lot of people have gotten bloated software stacks, and, yeah. you know, so it makes sense. But we just want to take a different approach. We just want to give you data and we don't want to be the purchasing agent. My favorites were in discovery, always ask if they're, what are the steps to closing a deal or whatever? And if they say procurement's involved, the price always goes up 15%, like always. Or that you just build in the win. Yeah, well, no, You're, because yeah. then all of a sudden- You want to give them something. They have an incentive, right? And I don't want like a, I don't want my deal to be three, four weeks longer because I have to play this game with the procurement officer. It's like, right. hey, John, what do you, what do you need? You know, well, if you get 8%, great. Well, there, all of a sudden I've netted 7%, right? But yeah, it's interesting. Do you ever, I, I want to get into like the downturn kind of topic because I think you guys have some interesting data on there, but I'm kind of curious. Let me pitch you this idea. Okay. Apple App Store, right? I feel like G2 could be an app store for software. Mm. And I think what could get really interesting here is because you have the insight, which is the hard part, then you have the suggestion engine. And then all of a sudden you just complete it with kind of a, again, a Switzerland type billing where basically I could just come in and I, I almost manage through your kind of, it's not procurement software, but you're like cost tracking software where I can kind of see what's going on. Is that, is that where we're going in five years or um, what's going on? That is part of the dream. Okay. And actually my co-founder, Tim Handorf, he runs G2 Labs now. Okay. 
which now we have 700 people. So we've also realized they have to have longer cycles, but Tim is driving all innovations, but he's driving a couple of things along those lines. One of them is actually G2 deals. Okay. And the idea is starting to turn G2 into a marketplace. And kind of like you said, an app store, but with deals, vendors can offer special deals on G2.com only. Got it, got it. And obviously it helps a vendor drive conversion. Helps you because that's where they're going. Yes, it also helps a buyer. It's another interesting reason to come. And then the vision, I make the analogy more to Amazon Prime. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that could be a dream. Like we become more like Prime. Yeah. yeah, And you start buying multiple apps through G2. One, you get a better deal for our members, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And then two, yes, it could feed right into track. Yeah. And now you can track all your apps. And then in track, we can also prompt upsells. Totally. Because we know your SaaS stack. We know your... We know your spend and most people still have gaps in their stack. And I'm obviously more on the side of the seller and I do think software is eating the world. And, you know, in a downturn, people cut back a little bit. But I yep. think in 10, 20 years, everyone's going to be spending even more on software. Yep, yep, yep. And they're going to have more apps, right? So we could also recommend, like you said, with recommendation engine, based on your stack, we can make a perfect recommendation on, hey, here's three more great apps you should buy. Totally. And by the way, two of them are offering incentive to buy this month. That's great. You know, so then the buyer's really happy. Yeah. Seller's happy. Everyone has the best software and that's our ultimate goal. Everyone's happy. And now Patrick and Godard talk about the data that you can use that they're seeing about the economic downturn. Well, I think everyone's an individual and based on the data you have about their individual spend theoretically, that can help you like do those suggestions on a very like bespoke basis. When you're ready for this, there's a cool billing company that can partner with you guys uh, and handle all the all the fun stuff. Which one? So, I don't know. I, I I try not to pitch on podcasts, but okay. yeah, I do have an interesting data point for you that I can send you the data and you guys can use because you've seen the report where it's like everyone's sick of subscriptions, everyone's sick of like software. Have you seen this? Like I haven't seen it. There's, there's this. It was done by like McKinsey or someone. Okay. They messed up how they asked. Mm. They basically were like, do you have too many apps or do you have not enough apps? And everyone was like, I have too many apps, right? Right. Because it's like a stated preference versus actual preference. True. And especially if you ask the CIO, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do have a hard job. Because they want less. They always want less because, you know, that's kind of where the incentives are. But we have actual data on like, even though this is apparently a data point that's out there, basically more and more software every single month is being purchased. Like a number of apps that people have. I always always say it's like you don't say like hey i want less greeting card options you're just like no of course like i want more and i want to figure out what's best for me but true yeah it's some interesting data for you guys yeah and i think more business users want more and that's also why we're here at sas talk right but there's all these purpose-built apps that make your life better if you're like you're a salesperson there's all these little tools and the other trend now in our industry is better apis better api ecosystems so frankly it's also easy to plug in lots of little purpose-built apps to make your life better and better yeah right and i think the reason software is in the world my story is it can automate all the boring repetitive tasks in our job but like no one vendor one software platform does that for every use case every persona every industry and that's why there's so much innovation so i do see and we actually have g2 track data i shared yesterday that even in this downturn people are still buying more apps exactly Uh, we are seeing there's more price pressure so maybe people are reducing users a bit they're paying a bit less and you probably see that your data as well yeah but overall they're still buying more apps even in the downturn yeah well i think it's because it's not about the number of apps it's about the solutions and the value that you're getting from them right there's a reason there at saster we were at a few weeks ago there were like 12 different spend management apps like there's just so many of them coming out yeah and we have a good category for that on g2 yeah exactly. and we have one but we also we love and vendor has great reviews right it's g2 is always an open platform but yeah there's yeah, yeah. And that category is really growing. Yeah, but there's these different categories that pop up where it's like, I just want a solution. I don't really care, you know, that it's my eighth app or my 12th app. It's like, it's just something. No, it's purpose built, right? It's solving this problem for me. Like, so why recreate the wheel, right? Exactly, exactly. 
Kind of curious though, a lot of data, we have a lot of data on like what's happening, at least in the SaaS and subscription market from a financial standpoint, you have it from a lot of the buying standpoint as well. Like, what are you guys seeing? Should we all like freak out? Are we, is everything going to be okay? Like where in the middle are we? Yeah. And I don't think it's freak out. Yep. And I also shared my experiences yesterday, downturns, right? Like 2001, 2002, com bust, 9-11. Yeah. That almost killed us in our industry. But I do think the good news is I think now SaaS, it's well established, right? We all have real revenue streams, real customers. So I think it's, we all have to tighten our belts a bit, right? And we do think the first couple quarters this year spend was down a little bit, but not much. So I'd say it's not catastrophic, but like us, we couldn't, we can't hit our original growth plan this year. And I imagine that's true for most of us. So we are using the time to get a bit more efficient. Yeah. Right. And last couple of years were all about hiring from us. We went from like 330 to almost 700 people last two years. And freaking out, it's also nice to have a breather. Yeah. You know, because also if every manager is spending all their time recruiting, hiring, they're not spending time taking care of their existing team. Yep, yep, yep. And so I think, and I think for most of us, right, we can use this time to get more efficient, get more productive. Yeah. And, you know, the sunshine will return. I don't know when. I mean, I think we're kind of counting on probably five or six quarters of slowness. Yeah. But right now, if I were to say, I think 2024, that's when we're kind of thinking we might be back to happier times. I think that's kind of the data we've we've seen. So we were able to look at the past couple of like downturns because we have data that goes back that far. So wow. We looked at you already had like 0809 or? Yeah, we had 0809 because when they- When did you start? Uh, so we started in 12, but- okay. When the billing systems connected, if the data is in there, like we were able to bring it in for the analytics. Smart. So all of a sudden, we were able to look at very small data set. We were able to go back all the way to 2001. Wow. Because we just had some companies who were very good at just their their data. You know, they've always been really, really good at their resilience of their data. So we looked at that data wasn't as useful for this analysis, but like 2008, 2012, there's a little blip in 2015, and then obviously COVID. And what was really interesting, and you probably feel this because you've been an operator for a while, whenever there is a downturn or a recession or a hint of one, there's like three cuts that happen. There's all the experienced folks cut or stop spending like right away. Then there's the wave of people who wait. And then there's the wave of people who like didn't do enough, you know, the second time or finally are taking care of it. So the arc of that curve, end of September. Okay. But what arc, what arc ended like? Yeah. So the first cuts came in like April. Okay. The second cuts over the summer. Then the third cut like started end of August, like early September. The problem is, is that all of a sudden after that arc, there's still a flatness. And then that flatness sometimes lasts a year, sometimes lasts 18 months. But you think we're kind of at the flat part now or? Well, like all economists, we only make predictions in the past. right? Right. So here's what I would say. We're at a flatness part. I personally, in the data that we have, don't think it's going to like tank a lot further, but it might, you know, you never know, debt cap bounces or whatever they call them. The issue is, is we have consumer subscription products on our our platform. The growth rates are still negative. So they're still kind of- Consumers are cutting back. Yeah. And so does that hit B2B again? Like this whole W, like there never really has been a W recession ever, but we still talk about it, right? Like, does that happen? I don't know. I think you're right though, that 2024, this will have like the upswing we might not know it until late 2024 that it started in early 2024, but that's kind of the thing that I'm putting my hat on, if that makes sense. I guess my question for you is, you've been through this rodeo a couple of times. You mentioned kind of cutting back on the hiring, paying attention to the existing team. What are the other things you're doing from like a growth perspective, retention perspective for your customers? Any like tactical things for folks listening? I mean, I think, um, and we're certainly doubling down on our existing customers. And I think actually our customer business is doing better than our new logo. And my story is, that's probably true for most of us, it's better now to focus on your existing customers, retaining and growing with them. But do you think what CFOs and everyone cuts back first are new vendors? 
You know what I mean? I think even a lot of approval processes, it's now like some companies are like not, nothing new, no new vendors, you know, which I think has made our acquisition business a lot harder. But on the flip side, right, your existing customers and our G2 marketplace keeps growing. We have more buyer, more buyer intent. So we're now making a special offer more for existing customers. Like we have an essentials product, which is a premium profile on G2 with CTAs, et cetera. But now we're, we're calling it Power Up, which is like, hey, get access to all the power of all the full G2 buyer intent. And because there are still millions of companies shopping, so why not? better target them in a downturn, but that's an existing customer offer. So I think that's where we're putting more focus on the existing customers. And then the other thing I would say, the other thing I shared also at my, you know, my, my session yesterday is I'm personally trying to do more what I call a Flucht nach vorn, which uh, I'm from Germany originally, but it means flee to the front. And I think in times of crisis, like get out there more. And so that's part of the reason I'm here in Dublin. Obviously I love being here. Tomorrow I'm going to London, visit our team there, do a customer breakfast, but also go out and see people. And post pandemic, it's also possible. Last week I was in India, you know, I was also at Dreamforce. As it's Astra, kind of going everywhere to meet as many people. How much melatonin are you like taking each night? That's a. I don't know. I think you just get tired enough. Actually, I finally feel acclimated to uh, Dublin, but I arrived on Saturday. Gordon and I went on a lovely hike Sunday. But the weird thing about this kind of a world tour, by the time you're acclimated, you have to move on to the next country. <laughs> I've had 130 nights at hotels this week. Wow. But we, we did this. So you're really back on the road. I am ready to not travel ever again, but okay. I'll be. So you're doing the same thing. You're going, well, you and I saw each other's Astra. We're all back on the circuit, right? But what I love about being the circuit is seeing people like you, Patrick. Yeah, because now we're like old friends. We're just holding a conference. Yes, so it's like a reunion. You know, it's also fun, but the travel, nobody loves the travel part. Next up, Godard talks about fostering a robust entrepreneurial family. But I will say what you said about getting out there, that's what we're hearing from a lot of people is the the quote, I think Mark Roberge said it actually first was, whoever holds on to the most customers at the end of a downturn wins. And that means not only figuring out unique pricing, you know, to kind of get the movement still going, but it also means doing more free or community-based stuff, like to bring folks in, especially when you have a free user base. So I think that's really, really good advice. And I think to kind of shift a little bit, you have this concept that I have talked about since the first time we talked about it, which is like five years, this whole entrepreneurial family concept. And if you could kind of go through what that means and sprinkle in a little bit of where it started from your first company, because I don't think a lot of people realize you've been through the rodeo a number of times very successfully. And so I, I just love for you to like wax poetically about this for, for a little bit. Yeah, no, the entrepreneurial family, and it does, it starts with our team. And even I remember when I started my first company, Big Machines, way back end of 99, 2000, the first person I went to recruit was my best friend from MIT, Chris Schutz. And so he and I were already friends. And Big Machines, ultimately, we had over 300 employees. It wound up with all these amazing entrepreneurial people. And, you know, we all, we did all, you know, in some ways family, except I always say it's different from family where, you know, the drunk uncle at Thanksgiving gets thrown out. And in a sense, we do count on each other professionally. So we all have to do our job. But as long as we do our jobs, we really take care of each other. Yeah, we become friends even at work, beyond work. It's just fun to hang out with each other. So I think that's kind of where it started. But then we sold big machines to Oracle. And yeah, it was a great outcome and everyone was happy. But then also a lot of people realized, you know, it's not a fun culture per se. It's a huge company and decided, oh, well, maybe we should find something fun to do again. Yeah, so we started G2. And I started out with four friends from Big Machines. So that's entrepreneurial family. But then we're like, frankly, G2 was slow to grow. So we're like, oh, why don't we start another one? So we started Steelbrick partnering with Max. And, uh, you know, we brought over 100 people from the entrepreneurial family from Oracle into Steelbrick. 
Yeah, like I think Andrew Stapleton now, our VP customer success at G2, he was with us at Big Machines. He was with us at Steelbreak Salesforce. He's now with us at G2 and we have more companies responding. So my Big Machines co-founder, Chris, whom I mentioned, my best friend from MIT, he actually stayed at Oracle for a few years running their CPQ product. Uh, but then like he kind of retired two years ago. But then Chris and I were talking and we're like, oh, wow, we haven't really solved the CPQ thing well yet. Are you starting another CPQ? Well, we already did. It's, uh, it's called Logic IO and Chris is running it. You just can't get out. Yeah. And uh, well, honestly, it's like, it's also frustrating. Like we spent 20 years at it and didn't solve it well yet. Logic, honestly, I think they're really nailing it. But uh, and there I'm on the board. I'm an investor, but it's also a bunch of our alumni now from big machines and we, you know, and Oracle, but we all love working together. And we're like, why not? And also like you, you've had an exit, you know, that's why I invest in these personally. And we also all invest our money. So it's kind of fun. And there's, but there's a couple more coming. We're also building this company called 3Kit. And that was my kind of Matt Gorniak, who uh, became my really good friend. And you, you've probably met Matt, but he led sales for us at Big Machines, led sales for us at Steelbrick, Salesforce, started G2 with me. But then we saw this amazing 3D visualization, kind of helps you sell in the metaverse, do visual commerce. And we're like, wow, this is going to be huge in the future. So Matt's not running that company. So, and we have about two or three more coming, but that's fun. You know, help our entrepreneurial family. And I love it for our teams because then they get to be their own founder, their own CEO. You know, it's fun. And, and I think all these businesses are succeeding. What do you think, what keeps everybody, I don't know if everyone appreciates it, but big machines getting going and getting bought and then a hundred people, probably not all at once, but a good number all at once. Pretty much within a year. We, we did get some nasty letters from Oracle. A hundred <laughs> people coming to Steelbrick. I'm fairly certain when we talked last time, when you sold Steelbrick, you were like, just so you know, when I leave, there will be a group of people who leave and that's not a bad thing. And I'm not trying to threaten you, Mr. Benioff, but like, it's going to happen, right? How do you, what brings the people? Is it that you've always taken care of everybody? Like, because I know you're a performance culture. It's not like you're, no one can get fired or no one, you know, the drunk uncle is accepted or anything like that. But like, what do you think it is? Like if, if an entrepreneur is listening and is like, yeah, that's what I want. Like, I don't always want to work on the same thing forever, but I want to work the same people forever. Like what brings them over? Because it can't just be the three of us worked well together. Or we're just going to always work together when you're bringing a hundred people. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the culture and at G2, we call it our peak culture. But we've applied that framework, but it stands for performance, entrepreneurship, and maybe those are less unique, but then we also have the authenticity and kindness. And I think especially the authenticity and kindness, that's probably what makes it unique. And I try to live that myself, you know, where we're not BSing each other, we're not withholding from each other, good or bad. But then I think it really builds trust and people, you know, they feel like they're in a, a safe environment, but we are performing, so they're progressing. So and I, but I think it's pretty unique. And frankly, the biggest thing is like when people are then working at a, you know, great companies, Oracle, Salesforce, but they miss it. And I think what they miss is the culture. I think that's why people keep coming back. And then frankly, also, if you're entrepreneurial, like the other thing is like it, most of us can't work for an Oracle. It's just like 200, it's just different pace, different rhythm. And they're great companies. But if you love doing, you know, creating stuff and it's just more creative. That's probably what I love about being an entrepreneur. It's like if you're a painter, you get the full palette. You know, you, could, you can use all the colors and all the brushes you want. Whereas in your big company, they're like, no, you own this piece of the canvas and you're going to paint in purple with this brush. Got it, got it, got it. That's super, super interesting. Very practically, is that something where, like, what is the advantage here? Some of it seems very obvious, but is it is it just the advantage of there's already shared language and speed and all of a sudden it's like, I know I can trust so-and-so with such and such because I've seen them grow over the past five years. Like, is that the main advantage or are there other advantages that, that aren't as obvious? I mean, I definitely say speed because when you do trust each other, you, know, you can kind of skip the like, hey, let's get to know each other, period. Like a, we can just go, right? We can start running together. 
And I would say the other advantage now, I mean, it's more tactical, but important. It's also a lot easier to raise money, you know, because, and, and you'll find this, but once you've had one success, frankly, investors tend to overvalue it. I remember my first company, my first year, I had to pitch like 50 VCs and almost went bankrupt, almost couldn't raise around. But once you have one success, like all the VCs come to you and that does help because, and I'm also very lucky, for example, Salesforce Ventures has invested in all of our ventures. Yeah. And that's because, you know, and I think Mark Benioff, Steelbrick's actually one of their best acquisitions, tremendously successful, and we did a good job integrating it. But then, you know, I think you, we also win trust. Our entrepreneurial family really goes beyond the team, you know, to our partners like Salesforce, to our investors. I have repeat investors, and then frankly, like friends like you, Patrick. And I imagine, obviously, you'd be great with Paddle. Maybe somebody you build another company. Maybe you let me invest in it. I would invest. Call me day one. I'm not doing bootstrap ever again. Uh, First so. two years, I'll bootstrap, but the rest of it, no. Yeah. Okay. Let me in day one. But that's also part of the family, right? You make all these entrepreneur friends at events yeah. like this, and, and it's a great ecosystem. And, you know, and once you like each other and enjoy it together, and we're all lucky it's this massive tailwind, like, why not do more stuff together? Yeah. It is interesting, the thing you said about overvaluing the success. I've been giving, like, pricing advice for a decade now and, like, retention advice. Mm. After the acquisition, the engagement on some of this advice, like, it's just through the roof. Yeah, now everyone thinks, you know, yeah, you know I, I know the secret. It's like, yeah. well, it's the same secrets I've been talking about. So then yeah. it's okay. Keep engaging. It's, now you are a genius. I don't know about that. And now Patrick and Godard answer questions from the SaaS Doc 2022 crowd. What questions we got? Any live questions? So what is the, the strongest point? Because you get to analyze the data when you see all these companies being put together. Sometimes you, you get the founders of these companies reaching out and panicking like, hey, look, this quarter we're doing really bad and we need, you know, we need to accelerate and do something. Do you see that becoming software as they start bundling their services together to survive together? You know, just like in banking, when there's a crisis, they all start cross uh, working together to to sell. Is, is that something happening in the marketplace in SaaS? You mean companies partnering more or? You see that whichever industry they use, say, five, six uh, products, and it's almost a, a pattern that is repeated. And for those who are, in, they have new entries to the market, they need to refer to another entity, trusted partner to recommend like, look, if you're using one, two, three, this is the best practice. You know, like you'll end up having bundled five companies that offer their product at a discount or? To be honest, like, I don't think I've seen too much of that. And I'm curious, Patrick, if you have kind of companies maybe bundling their solutions for a common customer. So there's always, over the years, you've seen this number of times, there's always, oh, best of breed point solution. And then all of a sudden, all in one. And then best of breed point solution, all in one. I think what's happening now is consumers are looking to cut costs. So the all in one or bundled option is appealing. But I think that there's so much software now that like the framework kind of breaks. For example, like there's just, you know, there's a company called Thrive. I don't know if you've heard of these guys, T-H-R-Y-V. They are, they kind of cracked the code for SMB marketing, sales, automation, like project management, all this other stuff in the US. No one's heard of them, but they're a giant company. Whereas like HubSpot hasn't been able to come down because they target the SMBs who are like, I just want one thing to log into rather than a bunch of other stuff. So you're, you you kind of do see those dynamics. But I think in terms of like partnerships, like partnerships are always really powerful regardless of, you know, which particular market cycle we're in. It just depends on the strength of the value that the partnership's producing. So, but I don't know if I exactly answered your question. That's kind of what I thought about from the. Any other questions? Awesome. Let's give it up for Goddard. All right. Thank you. And thank you, Patrick. Fun to be with you. 
a huge shout out to Godard for doing this podcast. Now you have what it takes to combat the crisis of trust. Today, we talked about where G2 is headed, having confidence in your solution, what data G2 is seeing about the economic downturn, fostering a robust entrepreneurial family, and Patrick and Godard answered questions from the SaaStock 2022 crowd. Make sure that when you give Protect the Hustle a five-star review to tell us what lesson Godard taught you from today's episode. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.